day at the organ I was weary and ill at ease And my fingers wandered idly Over the noisy keys I know not what I was playing Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will continue uh, my look at the early novels of Henry James. Specifically, we'll be looking at The American, or at least starting our look at The American. It'll kind of take about three episodes for me to to work my way through this novel 100 pages uh, per episode. Um as always, I'm using the Library of America as my source material. Now, the first, um, this is the 13th volume of the Library of America series, so I think it might actually be the first Henry James uh, book that they printed. Uh, maybe they started with the stories, but this might be their first. So, But it's pretty early in their run. Coming out in, the, in 1983. Um, now this book overall has his first five novels, the ones that were published pretty much in the in the 1870s, uh, including Watch and Ward uh, and Roger Hudson, which we already lo- looked at. So the Americans, this the or the American, I can't get confused because the Europeans is plural. That's the next novel. The American is singular. It's just dealing with one guy, one American in Europe. Europeans dealing with people in America. Um, so. Um, this is the first novel in the series that I like recognize by name. They're like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard of this book. Um, so that's that's notable. Although, like all the Henry James works, except like Turn of the Screw and a few short stories, I haven't read it before. It's my first exposure to it. Um, you know, I I, there, I think there's a lot to like in this novel. I, I didn't like watching Ward very much. I, I found Roger Hudson a bit repetitive and a little overly long and a little kind of dreary and a lot kind of this moping artist uh sensitive moping artist you know a little bit too heavy-handed in that book but i find the american a lot more engaging and i enjoyed reading it much more i also had a librivox reading of this which was was helpful as well um and yeah i took i took my time with it but i i enjoyed it so it didn't feel like it was a slog for me to get through. Um, it's not. The, it's still not the kind of novel that I like because it is dealing with like the upper class and their uh, kind of petty, uh, you know, problems, um, romantic problems, and things like that, and 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 their weird dramas. But I think it really is interesting how you see this reflection between America and Europe. I think he was trying to get at that to a degree in Roger Hudson, and it didn't come off nearly as clearly. Here, you get really clear uh, contrast between uh, elite life in America and elite life in Europe, um, especially between this rising middle class or rising elite class in America, the commercial class, which is that of our main character, uh, Christopher Newman, named after Christopher Columbus, very much New Worlder. I mean, it's from page one, we're told that he's he's essentially uh, a reflection of America. He's a symbol of America. Now, there are a few other Americans f- throughout the story, but but not really. I mean, it's really him. Um, and then his, it's all about his interactions with this um, 
with this family, this aristocratic family. Now, this is set in, you know, the family's called the Belgrades. And this is, of course, set in, you know, in the middle, after the Civil War, it's set at the time it was written. And it's, it's very, it's set in France, it's in Paris and in the environs. You know, he travels a little bit, but mostly he hangs out in Paris. Um, and dealing with this family, it's ex- his, the extended family of this woman he's courting. And it's about the ups and downs of that relationship and how difficult it is for this old aristocratic family to accept someone even of wealth, right? Kind of in the same way how Europe can never totally accept America's culture, way of life. It will never quite fit in. It will never be good enough. It will never have that, that, it'll never have that aristocratic element that makes it acceptable to, to join the two together. And that's, of course, what happens to Christopher Newman um, in the novel as he falls in love with this this French, like, you know, duchess, I guess. Um, I forget, what's her title? Anyways, it's, they all kind of blur together. It doesn't matter. She's, she's from this aristocratic family, but it's kind of a down-on-their-luck aristocratic family, as most probably were, more increasingly so by the end, end of the 19th century. But they still turn their back on work, still turn their back on, on, you know, capitalism, very much still a uh, loyal to the Bourbons, that kind of thing. And they're an old conservative family that can never accept this, this American who enters into their lives. So, th- I mean, that's what the story gravitates around, but it's really quite good, I think. And I think it's, of, the, of these novels I've been reading, this is by James, this is like the first that I think is really worth digging into a little bit so yeah it's set in 1868 so it's set just a decade before the novel was written but it it, it covers several years of time as well now as the novel opens we're uh in paris 1868 now he's a civil war veteran as most characters are we saw this already with roger hudson where some of the main characters were civil war veterans and have been profoundly affected by that as james himself was through his his brother who've served in the Civil War. And, and it's, just, it's just a generational thing for Americans. It's, it's, everyone was touched by that war in some very intimate way. Um, and he's no different. He was there. Um, Newman's buying paintings. He's buying uh, copies of, of paintings uh, at, the, at the Louvre. So he goes to the Louvre, and there's a painter there copying, right? This is something they do. This is before mechanical reproduction, so people would copy oil paintings, and then sell those copies. And there's uh, a woman he runs into doing that. Now, um, Christopher Newman, when we first meet him, is kind of this rich, aimless American. He kind of reminds us a little bit of Roland in Roger Hudson, someone who's like, got money, made his money, um, doesn't really know what to do with it at this point. I mean, I think we're reminded of just how much wealth there was in America, and how much was given away. I'll, I'll get to this in a little bit. Um, but you made your money, you kind of were a success by American standards, and now what to do? Well, you go to Europe, right? And you live in Europe for a while, and you maybe find a European wife, maybe you settle there, um, and then, you know, or you become like Henry James, you start a career there, whatever. So he's kind of in that situation. But he's super, super rich. I don't think we get exact numbers on his wealth, but he's... He's the kind of person who's never going to have to live again and someone who could bring a lot of money into a down-on-their-luck aristocratic family that, you know, 
that might want to marry into his his own into in might want to allow one of their kids to marry an American. Um, so, anyways, but we don't run into that family until a little bit later. At this point in the novel, we just run into this Naomi uh, Nyosh, I guess her name is uh, a French painter making copies. And he immediately overpays for a copy. Like we find out later, she's not a very good artist. She kind of admits being a crappy artist, um, but he doesn't really see it. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that he's just kind of an uncultured guy, um, even for like more lower class Parisians. Can I can identify him as kind of lower class? Like he doesn't appreciate what's a good painting. He's never seen Don Giovanni heard it before and when he does see it he's all he can do is really compare the characters to the people in his life you know he's kind of a and then when he, he goes with these aristocrats and they're they've seen don giovanni you know dozens of times or something um but even this neo is is kind of more cultured than him as a, as a painter but she's not a particularly good one but he he thinks it's a brilliant painting this is kind of making fun of american tastes i guess um, this is what Tocqueville did, if we remember from Democracy in America. He liked to complain about Americans' lack of tastes. Unfairly, I think, but he did it. Um, okay, Neosh is, is, uh, sells him this painting. He's not, she's not done, so he's just like putting down the money, or I'll pick it up later. And It's like thousands of francs. It's way too much. Um, and she meets her father, and it, now his father, her father, I mean, Neosha's father is a pretty interesting character. I think it's a shame. It's not like my one complaint about the novels. I'd like to know more about this Neosh family. And they're kind of become a backdrop character. There's still a good foil and there's interesting stuff happening and there's some development there, but not nearly enough, it seems to me. Um, the father's there and he's kind of... So these are poor people and he's trying to make a living off his daughter's art and she's very pretty and... You know, maybe wants to marry her off. So there's immediate interest in her getting to know this American. Now, she's never presented as a serious love interest. She's way too independent, way too, um, she's too sexual, uh, whatever. But eventually, her his father, um, Neosha's father, convinces Newman to, to learn some French. Um, now, who is this Newman guy, I think? That was kind of my question. Is he a self-made man? Um you know, America in the post-Civil War era was horribly corrupt, right? We know, like, a huge chunk of the West, like 10% of the West was given to, like, the railroads, and a bunch more was given to the to the mining companies. And, you know, we know how the Grant and Johnson administrations were filled to the brim with corruption and, and how much just backroom dealings there was in the roots of American capitalism, right? It's I think it's pretty clear that American capitalism wouldn't be what it was if not for huge handouts to the elite in the in the years after the civil war it's what richard white calls the the greater reconstruction right the effort to to not only reconstruct the south after the civil war but to reconstruct uh, the west which involved of course wars against indians and seizing their lands and redistributing it you know in ways to kind of for they could create their ideal society and in doing so they created the foundations of, of american capitalism in the west and and across the nation really so I'm always skeptical about the self-made men in this period of time, right? That, that it's kind of like we're back to the elder myth. I don't, you know, we don't really hear too much. I guess he made, you know, well, he was in some sort of manufacturing, right? Um, 
slipping my mind now. But anyway, I think as a class, if you want to think of it as a metaphor for the class, I think there's reason to be doubtful about you know how seriously we should take this self-made stuff, right? Um, now, really, what this novel comes down to is a culture clash between the aristocracy and the democracy, in a way, right? And and how European aristocratic culture couldn't really change. And it's interesting you picked France because you picked France as a uh, in a particular time when there's still an empire, right? But it's this new, modern, more liberal empire of Napoleon the uh, Third. The old Bourbon monarchies were finally overthrown for good sometime after the French Revolution and the fall of Napoleon, where the Bourbons were restored but overthrown later. And then you had a was it the Orleans family for a while, and then you had finally the Napoleons were brought back um, or came back. And then after 1870, yeah, France became a republic again so this is at that end of that uh, imperial period it's the end of the their aristocracy but it's still there right and the the culture is still there it's the same way that caste is still there in india it may be illegal it may be old-fashioned it may be uh, not you know seen as proper but still people do it right people still follow those conventions so it's like the culture of the aristocracy continues so that's really what the ensemble gets to and i think it does a really good job of of like, playing with these contrasts so as we move on in the novel um i don't know if i'll give you a chapter breaks here but um there's like 26 chapters i'll just i'll just kind of talk through the story a little bit but um in chapter two uh we meet tom tristam tom tristam's uh another american so he's the american buddy that kind of is in the backdrop of the story he shows up from time to time he's not there for the most piece, they're more at the beginning of the novel because he's sort of setting up this this uh, meet cute that's going to lead to the main plot of the story. Um, he's an old friend from the Civil War, and he's also in in Europe, uh, and he's married uh, now. And they discuss their plans and Newman, especially Newman's um, plans. Um, his wealth, and they discussed these various things. And this is what made me think about the corruption of the era, actually, was when they started talking about, like, his wealth. But um, he just wants to sort of relax. He says, I'm just going to relax, uh, enjoy his money, marry a beautiful woman, cultivate his mind, right? And, yeah, this is the thing. that It's also Tocqueville here in the way of how he, how he says, like, I couldn't, you know, I was so busy in business and commerce I, I couldn't cultivate my mind i couldn't learn anything right that's like if you have a single-minded american kind of at, attitude of a pursuit of wealth that's all you're going to be able to do it becomes your focus of your entire existence and your entire life um at the expense of everything else right so he's kind of an empty shell for much of the novel and and i guess that's another thing i've come to get used to with these henry james characters is they're not really particularly likable they're they seem kind of basic, uh, and certainly Christopher Newman is is rather basic too. I think he he develops some complexity later on, and he he kind of in this uh, duel with this uh, Belgrave family, he, he kind of gets his balls a little bit, which I think is kind of fun to watch. But he is kind of ultimately quite basic, uh, at least in the beginning of the novel. And, but he's like, oh, I'm going to change that. I'm going to like cultivate my mind, read, get some art, spend my money, relax, marry a beautiful woman. 
and that's that's kind of his plan. So later, Tristram, you know, they they meet Mrs. Tristram, and and I think they've met before, but um, so meets the wrong word, but they they bump into Mrs. Tristram, and talking about the same kind of stuff, and she suggests that he meets this Claire de de, de Santra. C-I-N-T-R-E, Santra. Claire de Santra. So she's an aristocratic woman. Um, and we get a little bit of his attitude towards women here. It's kind of funny. Uh, uh, again, not really aware of these aristocratic gaps. You're just kind of like, oh, anyone will do, you know, as long as she's pretty. Quote, quote, Newman was fond under all circumstances of the society of women. And now that he was out of his native element and deprived of his habitual interests... He turned to it for com- compensation. He took a great fancy to Mrs. Tritsum. She frankly repaid it, and after the first meeting, he passed a great many hours in her drawing room. After two or three talks, they were fast friends. Newman's manner with women was peculiar, and it required some ingenuity on the lady's part to discover that he admired her. He had no gallantry in the usual sense of the term, no compliments, no graces, no speeches. Very fond of what's called chafing in his dealings with men, he never found himself on the sofa beside a member of the softer sex without feeling extremely serious. He was not shy, and so far as awkwardness proceeds from the struggle with shyness, he was not awkward. Grave, attentive, submissive, often silent, he was simply swimming in the sort of rapture of respect. This emotion was not at all theoretic. It was not even in the high degree sentimental. He had thought very little about the position of women. He was not familiar, either sympathetically or otherwise, with the image of the president in petticoats. His attitude was simply the flavor of his general good nature, and a part of his instinctive and genuinely democratic assumption on everyone's right to lead an easy life. If a shogger, shaggy pauper had the right to bed and board and wages and vote, women, of course, who were the weaker than paupers and whose tissue, physical tissue was itself an appeal, should be maintained sentimentally at the public expense. Even get some politics there. It's kind of fun. But he seems, it's not something he really thinks about. It's like he is sort of an empty shell in a way. But then he goes on to say it's like he's totally open to marrying European women, right? Um, and then that's when they meet uh, Santra. Um, Claire de Santra shows up. Let me get her exact position. Oh, yeah, I guess they're marquees. So the, the, the older generation's dead. So uh, Claire is of the, the, the oldest kind of living generation, although I think the mother's still alive. Uh, yeah, there's old Madame Belgrade still alive. But uh, so the elder brother Urbane inherits the title of Marquis. Um, and then the younger brother, who becomes the good friend of, of Christopher Newman, is called uh, Valentin. Valentin. Valentine. Uh, Valentin, I guess, in French. And she's the. Um, the she's 25, Claire. So. I don't know what that makes her. <laughs> Just Madame. Madame. Madame de Santra. That's how they call her. So she shows up and uh, they actually go to her house and um, and chit-chat with her. So she's going to be the focus of much of the story. Um, her, her relationship as it evolves with Christopher for Newman. Her, her love affair with him, if you will. Um, now, later on, we kind of flip back to uh, Monsignor Nioche, the people I like, this this father-daughter team that I'm kind of interested in and wish there was more of. Uh, he visits with his daughter, and apparently they're, like, going to go and, like, sell the painting and stuff. Um, 
But eventually they go to the Louvre to find a painting to copy because he's, he's kind of ordered extra paintings from her to copy. Um, and she's kind of telling him, you know, you really shouldn't buy paintings from me so much, which is kind of fascinating for someone trying to make money. Uh, the, the older Neil, which the father wants this income, and she's kind of embarrassed that she's selling these paintings, I think. Um, but she tells him not to waste more of her money, of, of the money on her. And, and then she says, like, basically her plan is to marry up, that she's not that interested in, like, working for a living. And she's hoping to, to become uh, rich someday. Uh, and, of course, that's kind of the goal of her father as well. She says, for instance, grocers and butchers and a little maitres de café. I will not marry at all if I can't marry well. That's what uh, she says after Newman suggests, like, oh, there's lots of good men out there. Your father's looking for them. Your father will find a nice match for, for you. And, and she's like, oh, those that, that rabble won't do for me. Um, now, I can, like, spoiler alert, tell you a little bit about what happens. She ends up becoming a, a mistress for a rich man. Like, that's a better position for her than marrying essentially down, right? But I, I think that's another kind of interesting... Uh, commentary on just the choices and the opportunities and the freedoms available to women at this time in, in history. I mean, at, even Madame de, de, de Centre, you know, when the marriage with Newman breaks, you know, is, is the, the marriage engagement, you know, doesn't go forward because of basically familial pressure. Her only option she can think of is to go into a, a convent, there's a little bit of the religious tension here, but we see that we're past the eras of, of well, it's a, an American wouldn't concern himself with Catholicism versus Protestantism quite so much as, you know, maybe aristocratic Europeans at the time. I don't know if that's part of why the family doesn't like him. It seems mostly it's because he's the, he, he works for his money. That's what's offensive. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The fact that you worked for it is is what's kind of offensive to this this entire family. Not Valentin. I mean, he's he's kind of more of a good guy, um, at least as far as Newman is concerned. But the family overall, you know, have clear positions. They, they, they're polite. They're nice. They they allow them to meet and, and, and have their conversations and things. But it's pretty clear that they don't want this marriage to go, go forward. But that's getting ahead of the story a little bit. Um... So, anyways, but anyways, uh, with this conversation with Neosh, we, we kind of are reminded once again of how unsophisticated uh, Mr. Newman is uh, in terms of art, how he gets kind of, it takes this woman to tell him, like, don't waste your money on this art. All right, in the, um, he then travels around Europe, so he, he decides, uh, like, he starts to want to pursue this Madame de Santra. And she's like not around. She's often gone on trips like to the family estate. It's like a castle out in the outskirts of, of town somewhere. And he decides to travel around Europe so, um, instead. And it's kind of a nice little uh, side quest here where he does his traveling around Europe. It's something we saw a little bit in Roger Hudson. Right, we saw actually a little bit in the Watching Ward too. It's like the tourist experience of Americans in Europe. Pretty common enough. Common enough. We've seen it before. We saw it in uh, Dodsworth too. Um, now he runs into this other American named Babcock, who's more intellectual. 
uh, and he's willing to travel with him, and they become kind of travel companions. But it's kind of funny because he he breaks up with him. He, he writes a letter. Babcock writes a letter breaking up with uh, Newman. And it's kind of like what we suspect about Newman is that he's kind of basic. Uh, and he writes this letter that's kind of rude almost, but it's, it's written in the polite 19th century way of saying things. But it's kind of harsh. He writes, for instance... Art and life seem to me intensely serious things, and in our travels in Europe, we should especially remember the immense seriousness of art. You seem to hold that if a thing amuses you for a moment, then all you need, need, all you need ask for it, and your relish for more amusement is also much higher than mine. You put, moreover, a kind of reckless confidence into your pleasure, which at times I confess has seemed to me, shall we say it, almost cynical. Your way at the rate is not my way, and it's unwise that we should attempt any longer to pull together. Um, so they, they kind of break up and he doesn't even seem to understand how kind of insulting and, and violent the letter really was. Um, but it's just a fun little epilogue or not epilogue. It's a fun little side quest that, uh, exca escapade that reminds us just how kind of out of touch he is with with the culture and and i think to the degree that christopher newman is a metaphor for america and i think he really is his name is explicit here christopher columbus he's named he's named after christopher columbus then it's it's like again making fun of americans kind of simplicity and cultural vulgarity which may or may not be fair i don't know probably not fair but you do see it in Tocqueville. I don't know. There might be something to democracies pushing to that lowest common denominator in things. But, I mean, Tocqueville even said, like, the general knowledge is raised. But you lose, like, that... You don't have that aristocracy. You don't have that leisure class that, that can, like, cultivate its mind and become something, right? Newman couldn't. Newman had to work for his money. Dodsworth had to work. Roderick, if he wants to make it in Europe, is going to have to work. There's, there isn't this leisure class that, that kind of just falls into brilliance through, through having enough time, right? I think there's plenty of people who would achieve that if they had time, but they just don't. Um, it's, it's actually one of those tragic things if you think about, like, how many, like, rich people throughout history have become great philosophers or writers, intellectuals, painters? A lot, right? A lot, or a lot of people, maybe if they're not rich, but somehow got sponsored by people with money, right? And and there's a lot of them, but how many you know people that could have achieved as great of things, but never had the opportunity, right? Um, because of their social circumstances, it's it's a pity how much is potential creativity has been lost. And I think to this day, right? There's there's many great artists working at Walmart or wait, wait waitressing or whatever. Anyways, he returns to Paris after this little trip throughout Europe. And now we get to meet Santre's family. Um, and it's pretty clear. Now, they're a bit contradictory. So at one point they say, like, we are, you know, marriage is for money and status, right? So he, he thinks his money is good enough to get into the door. And in a way, he does get in the door, right? There's, uh, 
you know, they welcome him in. They 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 meet him. They they, they pretend to like him. They're they're, they're gentlemen about it. Um, but there's this kind of under, you know, this undercurrent of hostility about him because he's never going to quite fit in, right? No matter how rich he is, he's always going to be kind of the vulgar commercial type. Um, but we're also told, you know, the seeds are being sown here. We're also told that familial obligations are very important to them. Um, that status is really important. It's not just about money. Oh, here in this chapter, we find uh, what he did. He made wash tubs and less old leather. You know, so he was kind of in early manufacturing. Um, anyways, we, so um, we're about a third of the way through the novel already. And, and he's st it's mostly this, under, this, this last few pages of what I want to talk about today, mostly revolve around him trying to, to get to know the family. So... You can kind of um, go through some of these people. Um, so we have uh, Madame Bel Belgrade. So it's B-E-L-L-E-G-A-R-D-E, -E -E, Belgrade. Um, and so she's the, she's the wife. She's from England, though. She's the wife of the old Duke or the old Marquis. Mar 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 um, and she's the most interested in kind of purity she's one of the most insisted that that Newman not marry um Santra uh Madame de Santra um so then we got the Mar Marquis is the is the oldest brother we have two younger brothers or no one younger brother and and Claire I guess uh so three kids so he's also very conservative uh kind of carrying on with his mother kind of doing the elder child thing right you know carrying on for them um then we have uh, Valentin, who's the, the middle child, and he's uh, more free, more liberal. Um, he's, you know, he friends Newman. He's kind of on Newman's side, even though he he's kind of realizes, he, I mean, he tries to tell him at various times, like, you know, this is not going to be easy for you, but he's sort of basically on his side, um, and he's a little bit more fun, and he ends up dying in a duel, um, later in the novel in a very important part of the story and then we have uh claire who is the youngest um and she's i, I guess she's the if she's the youngest child she should you know try to think of the those dynamics of the, of the different children um but anyway she's her her kind of ambitions are kind of unclear like she seems to love newman but she also is very loyal to her family and you know, it's not clear where she is. She's kind of mixed. Um, and that's to uh, his dismay, uh, Newman's dismay. Who else do we have here? Um, and then we have the wife of Urbane, the Marquis's wife, who's also from like a pure noble line, right? So he's no, the previous marriage into this family was to pure noble lines. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, the, we know where the tension's going to be. Uh, as we get to know more about this family. So, uh, I guess I talked about chapters one through seven of The Americans. Uh, I, I kind of dig this novel. I think there's a really a lot to like about this novel. It's not something I'm going to like rush back to in the, in the next year or two, but I think it's, it's I'm glad I read it. I, I think for the first time, I'm kind of getting into Henry James a little bit. And I think because he really exploits and explores this tension between America and Europe in very, very interesting ways. Um, even though the character, the main character here is still not the most likable, 
Um, there are likable characters here. Valentin is, I think Claire's really interesting and in the choices she makes and how she has to deal with the pressure of her family versus her the feelings of her heart. I think Neosh is very interesting as a lower class woman who's very beautiful and therefore has certain options but is also limited very much like newman and so she ends up having to be a mistress so i think that's an interesting side story so i think there's some cool stuff um going on here and newman's a character that really does develop he he kind of grows on his own as he gets more and more in conflict with his family so uh that's my opening thoughts here i'm gonna have a two more episodes where i'm gonna explore uh the rest of the story the next episode will cover Chapters 8 through 16, I guess. Uh, and the last one will cover the last 11 chapters of the book. It'll be a long, that'll be a longer little chunk. It comes in a little bit over 300 pages. So I'm going to have to have one episode covering a little bit more than 100 pages. So two more episodes. I hope you join me as I explore uh, a little bit more of this, this novel, The American by Henry James. Thanks for listening. Uh, send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I will uh, await your your thoughts, and, and I'll see you next time when I continue my look at this novel. See you then. And like love overcoming strife, it seemed the harmonious echo.